Welcome to the 112th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about the past week's college basketball action and briefly preview the NFL wildcard round. So let's jump right in with a look back at college basketball action from last week, starting with the upsets, Patrick. A lot of big upsets this week. Uh, every team in the top five, except for one team, actually lost this week, which is uh, interesting. And that one team that didn't lose from the top five actually was a recent addition to the top five after the chaos that started, uh, well, as we know, the, the AP poll voting cycle starts on Monday. So uh, some of these games were from before Monday and some of them were after, so the rankings changed. But let's start with probably the biggest one, I would argue. Maybe not, actually. Uh, Miami beat number two Duke 76-74. to Crazy end to this game. Uh, a lot of players played very well for Miami. A lot of their returning players, also Charlie Moore, a transfer from DePaul, playing really well in this game. So overall, I mean, Miami played just well overall. I think there's nothing you can say about it other than the fact that, hey, look, Miami's 13-3. and Well, they were 13-3 and uh, by the end of that game. So it's not like Duke entirely lost to a bad team. I mean, it's certainly not a loss you expect from a team of the caliber of Duke. But all good teams lose a few times. I mean... The great, great, great teams don't lose at all, but that's 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 a really high bar to set and uh, and to expect out of any team, regardless of who they are. Uh, and especially when you're playing the ACC schedule, you're going to lose a few games, even if you end up through number three, number four, even number two or number one. And Duke has done that many years before. And, you know, I still think they can be one of the best teams in the country. And I really think it says more about Miami than it does about Duke. And I mean, look, Duke had two chances with good looks to win this game, and they also gave up four points on one possession to Miami, and that's what turned the game in Miami's favor. So uh, it, let's not talk about this like the death of Duke as a team. I mean, they're still, I believe, 15-2 and two on the year after some after another win they got later this week. So look, Duke's still good, uh, but I, I think we can start to say maybe Miami's a tournament-caliber team pretty easily. That's a big signature win. Uh, that win will carry them very, very far when it gets to the end of the season if we're, if we're judging them as a bubble team because beating the number one, t- beating a, probably a team that's going to end up as a one seed on the road. Uh, it, it means a lot. Uh, but moving on from that, number 25, Texas Tech beat number six, Kansas 75 to 67. To start off what would end up being a very, very hot week for Texas Tech, this game without Kevin McCuller uh, and without Terrence Shannon, uh, they're arguably their two best players. This win, that was without them. Uh, Kansas didn't really have Remy Martin in this game either. I believe he played maybe 10 or so minutes and, uh, most of that was, he was hobbling around on his knee. I mean, he tried to give it a go because uh, their best player, Ochai Baji was in uh, foul trouble this being Kansas. But, um, you know, Remy Martin wasn't 100%. When you have one of your best player in foul trouble and you're probably third or fourth best player not healthy and he's only trying to play a little bit just to save you some minutes, it's never going to be a good situation, especially when you add in the fact that it's on the road against a Big 12 team. And it's not like we're talking about any Big 12 team. Texas Tech is certainly not, I don't think, uh, I don't think they're up there with maybe Kansas and Baylor and Texas, and I don't think one win over Kansas says they are, but they're certainly in that middle group where Oklahoma and Iowa State uh, and themselves are. I think that's fair to say, so uh, definitely a quality team, and when you have those issues, you're not going to beat that type of a team on the road. Uh, Speaking of that, Speaking of those two teams that I actually was just talking about, actually a lot of these teams coming up, Oklahoma beat number 11, Iowa State, 79-66. to Technically not an upset because Oklahoma, I believe, was favored in this game, but uh, Oklahoma was unranked. Uh, Ohio, uh, Iowa State, number 11, actually coming off of a win earlier in the week against Texas Tech. So 
they were looking good. They had been playing very well. Uh, and really, I, I can't take anything away from Oklahoma just because they were the favorites in this game. They were still obviously not the higher rated team. Um, and, you know, Oklahoma had two top 15 wins earlier in the year and a good re- and a good enough record to be ranked. But the issue is those teams that were top 15 wins back then, th- those teams haven't played well at all recently. So now all of a sudden those wins don't look too good. Um, but I think this adds to Oklahoma's resume and really shows people that the, the wins against those teams, those teams still have talent. And Oklahoma really is good enough to be one of those teams that stays in the middle of the Big 12, which... If you look at last year, that's going to end up with you being a four or a five seed in the tournament, which is very, very respectable, and it's going to be a good position to be in uh, come that time of the year. Uh, speaking of the tournament, uh, Oklahoma State not allowed to participate in the tournament this year, but they are allowed to beat number 14, Texas, 64 to 51, and they did that last weekend. Uh, a good win by Oklahoma State. Again, I, I keep saying it, whenever I talk about them with an upset, there's always that asterisk that, in reality, the game does not have as much significance as it possibly could. Oklahoma State would be teetering as a bubble team, uh, and this win would have been one of those games where, without it, they look like a non-tournament team, and with it, they're in the tournament field. And I I think, because of that, it really just shows you how, you know, at least the guys are still trying to play. I mean, I don't think they win this game if they don't play with high effort. Texas is too talented to lose to a team who's not trying. So it really just proves that even though Oklahoma State really doesn't have that much of an end goal this season, uh, they're they're still going out there. They're playing well. Uh, and overall, I mean, they've had a good year so far. They've played a tough schedule and they have a decent record throughout it. So uh, good for Oklahoma State. Obviously, though, still not able to participate in the tournament. For Texas, doesn't mean too much. It's a tough road loss, but you're going to lose games like that in the Big 12 occasionally, and, and frankly, sometimes not even occasionally, sometimes often. Uh, but moving on from that, a big, big surprise. This might actually have been a bigger upset than Miami beating Duke because at least Miami was 13-3 and heading into the game. Missouri, who had a losing record heading into this game, beat number 15 Alabama 92-86, to and really, without the end of the game, back and forth of fouling and then shooting and fouling and shooting, Missouri was winning this game by a lot more. They were losing at the halftime, um, but they were winning, I think, by 12 or 14 or 15, something like that, a margin similar to that, before kind of the end of the game stuff. So uh, they really played well in this game. They deserve to win, and I think Missouri had a great year last year, but they lost a lot of players. They lost a lot of talent, and they've had a tough time replacing them, but uh, this game was uh, maybe a turning point for them in the season. Who knows? Uh, But moving on from that, San Diego State beat number 20, Colorado State, 79-49. Those two teams supposed to be the favorites in the Mountain West to start the season. Uh, And San Diego State had played up to that level to start the year, but uh, a bad loss against USC, uh, a somewhat close loss against Michigan. uh, And, you know, Michigan hasn't been looking too good either. So their resume doesn't look that great. And uh, yet still, uh, uh, Colorado State was undefeated before this game, and they ended up being the favorites. uh, Or San Diego State ended up being the favorites, even in that in the game against a team with that resume. So uh, San Diego State played a very good game. Uh, they, I mean, look at the score. They crushed them. Uh, and Colorado State's still a good team. Don't doubt that. They've played some tough teams. They've played some tournament teams. Maybe not exactly your top dogs, but that's more of those teams not wanting to play them, frankly. Uh, but uh, I, I still think Colorado State is easily in the top eight seeds for sure. Um, and San Diego State deserves to be in that conversation themselves. Uh, moving on from that, number 19, Texas Tech. Uh, got a six-spot promotion even after a one-in-one week because of their surprising win over Kansas and just a close loss to Iowa State that we talked about in the last podcast. They beat number one Baylor on the road, 65-62. to Colorado State was one of the three remaining unbeatens. 
Uh, as of Wednesday night, there were two, and this was the first one to go down, uh, that being Baylor. Uh, Baylor, though, I'm, I'm still going to say it. They're still the best team in the country, and I still don't think anybody can say anything to contest that. They ran into a really hot team that had just beaten a top six team without two of the, without their two best players, arguably. They got one of those guys back, and they got even better. So Texas Tech is just proving how good they are. I think they're probably going to end up in the top 10 by the start of next week, maybe just outside of it, depending on who else loses. Um, but Overall, I mean, I, I think if you're not saying that if, if you're not saying that Baylor still at least looks like a top two or three team, especially with the other results that we're about to talk about, I don't really know what you've been watching because that team is still scary. Uh, they barely lost this on close plays at the end. They had looks to tie it. They still played good defense. Maybe their offense was a little bit off in this game, but they're still a really good team. I mean, you can't ask a team to, to lose what, two games in the span of two years entirely? So uh, Baylor was going to lose a few games eventually. This is just one of those. Uh, and then, well, this isn't a surprising upset if you're named Patrick, uh, but uh, and especially if you're me. But, yeah, USC finally played a real team, and they lost, and they lost pretty easily. I mean, Stanford beat number 5 USC 75-69, to the most overrated team, the worst top 5 team of all time, not even close. They have played nobody. If you look at efficiency ratings, they don't look good at all. I don't think anybody can tell you that they're a Final Four quality team, even though, even though they're number five. I would look at teams that are probably in the teens as better as better uh, contenders. I'd take Texas Tech over USC any day. Um, and look, they don't have any good wins on the entire year. I mean, San Diego State might be looking like a better win as of now, but if you want to judge teams by, by how they play against other teams, sure, you can say San Diego State looks good now because they beat Colorado State, but they look terrible for losing to a Michigan team who might fall to 500 if they lose to Illinois tonight. So when you look at it that way, they really haven't beaten anybody good all year. And, you know, that I mean, I wouldn't say that's entirely their fault. They played in a, in a few neutral neutral side events. And, you know, you accept the uh, you accept the invites to those events and you assume that the, that those events are going to put out a good field. And if they don't, you kind of are just stuck with that. And uh, that's really the situation they were in. Um, so I don't really know what else they could have done. I'm not faulting them for the bad schedule. I mean, again, they played in two events that were neutral site. Georgia Tech ended up not being good, and that's probably the best team they've played all year, if, it, if not at San Diego State. That was another neutral site game. And outside of that, they've had some games postponed. They were supposed to play Arizona. They didn't. Arizona State is terrible, but at least they were supposed to play one other conference game. Uh, but I would also like to say that Stanford had not played since before Christmas. Uh, they have no synergy right now. They haven't played in forever. And here they are uh, coming and beating USC. Uh, they did do it at home. But look, Stanford also followed this up with a near loss to Washington State the week after. Uh, and Washington State lost to South Dakota earlier this season. So Stanford, I'm still not convinced. I mean, I don't even think they're a tournament team, to be quite honest. They're probably on the bubble. Um, they're maybe on their way in. Uh, after this win, and maybe if they get a few more wins, and if some other teams keep losing, they might make their way in eventually. But they're they're maybe just entering the scope of the bubble. They're definitely not on it yet. So uh, this is Stanford's not a great team, and USC losing to them is just even more embarrassing. But actually, I think their worst game of the week was the next game that they played. But we'll talk about that later. Uh, moving on from that. Speaking of Pac-12 teams that uh, are located in LA that aren't playing well and haven't played anybody all season. Oregon beat number three UCLA, 84 to 81 in overtime. Caveat to this game is that UCLA was not allowing fans in their building, um, and that probably changed things a little bit. But you're still looking at an Oregon team who lost 
by 35 to BYU. BYU just went this week, and I'll talk about it now, and I'll talk about it again later, and lost by 36 to Gonzaga. So if UCLA wants to be in the category of the Gonzagas, they better beat teams that lose to teams that lose to teams that lost to that team by 30. I know it's a lot of transitive property there working, but if you get what I'm saying, the the way that it looks, it's just... And also, by the way, UCLA did play Gonzaga earlier this year and lost by 20. So I think they've proven that they're not in that category. Uh, number three is way too high of a ranking. And again, the way that the AP poll works is that it's not judging off of resume. It's judging off of who's playing well, who's hot, and really just who won and lost the week before. So you're never going to see a team that's 10-1 and one and had some level of preseason expectations be outside of the top five, honestly, because they were in the top five to start the year. I think UCLA was actually number two in the country to start the year. So they've only had one loss. They have the win over Villanova that, by the way, they shouldn't have won that game. And also Villanova played terrible to start the season is now only really rounding into Villanova's form. So UCLA, not really impressed by them. And also, even though I believe Oregon can definitely turn the corner and become the top 15 team that they were supposed to be preseason, you still don't lose to nine and six teams on your home court and expect to be a top five team or anywhere in the caliber of a final four team. And I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair assumption. Uh, but moving on from that, DePaul beat number 20 Seton Hall, 96 to 92. Uh, maybe Seton Hall played too many tough minutes against UConn to, to be able to keep playing in this game. I mean, they played in possibly what could have been the game of the year that we'll talk about later. Uh, but uh, they, they were tired, I think is the number one takeaway from this game. They were just really, really tired. Um, and their defense showed it did not, they didn't play well on defense. Uh, their offense was I mean, obviously, you score 92 points, your offense has to be doing something good, right? But I think really it was just a high-paced, a, a high-paced uh, game and or fast-paced game and high-scoring just by nature of really just the speed of the game and the lack of defense by Seton Hall more than anything that DePaul did. Um, but DePaul almost on almost on the tournament edge. They're they're sitting somewhere there, so not a terrible loss, especially on the road. Um, DePaul has some quality wins, but. They also have some not-so-great-looking losses. Uh, and overall, Big East is hard to win on the road. I think this is another game where that, that, that's been proven. All right, well, let's go to uh, close games that weren't in your upset list. Starting with number three, Purdue beating Penn State, 74-67. to uh, Penn State has the quality, has enough of a quality team to really keep teams close, I guess. I don't think they're going to be pulling off many upsets this year, but uh, they can keep it close, maybe beat some of the Lower-ranked teams in the Big Ten uh, on the road, uh, like teams like Nebraska. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens to them long-term. I mean, they, they honestly could be in, in tournament position by the end of the year if they keep playing well and if maybe they pull off some bigger upsets. Uh, but, uh, you know, just keeping it close is probably not enough, but still a good game for them, I think, by their standards. Uh, but moving on from that, number five, UCLA beat Cal 60-52. to this is when they were still number not. Or this is when they were not number three yet, but still only number five because of uh, they had not lost that game to Oregon yet. But I think really for UCLA and for USC, it's funny because they're crosstown rivals, but they're really one and the same in basketball at least this week. You're playing a bad Pac-12 team, and when you only win by eight, first of all, the Pac-12 is not good in basketball. Let's just put that. Let, let's just put that out there. I mean, there's three good teams in there, uh, and frankly, I would argue you really have one top ten team. I would argue one top 15 team and one top 20 team, and that being Arizona is the top 10 team, UCLA is the top 15 team, and USC is the top 20 team. Then you have Oregon, who has the potential to be great, but has sucked to start the season, uh, I think is pretty fair, uh, pretty fair assessment of them. Uh, but maybe they're turning it around, and we could see that because of their uh, win against uh, UCLA. But 
look, Cal is not good. Most teams that are below those four aren't good at all. Um, and only beating those teams by eight is just not a good sign of things to come. And it wasn't because they later lost in the week. But uh, moving on from that, number 21, LSU beat number Tennessee, 79 to 67. It's astonishing to me that both these teams were ranked more than 10 spots lower than USC because both of these teams are really, really good. They've played tough schedules. I think Tennessee's only losses are, I believe it's Alabama or Kentucky or, 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 uh, Auburn maybe, and then that that's their loss in the SEC before this game, and then they lost in a tournament that included Purdue, North Carolina, and Villanova as the rest of the field, uh, and I think they lost to Purdue and then beat North Carolina or something in that, something like that. Maybe they lost to Villanova, so uh, th- they're a really, really good team. I mean, they're a team who beat Arizona at home, handed them their first loss of the year. Uh, Tennessee's a good team. LSU is an even better team, and I think you're really seeing it, and uh Look, LSU has the number one uh, defense in efficiency this year. Uh, It's crazy because last year they were a team that was number one in offense and pretty low in defense for a a high-quality team. This year it's the opposite where they're number one in defense and they're even lower in offensive efficiency. Uh, But it's really the the turnover of their roster. Uh, Tari Eason and Efton Reed have made them a lot better of a defensive team. They're just a lot bigger this year. Eric Gaines, who was their best defensive player last year, is now really kind of one of the team's emotional leaders. So it makes sense that they've gotten a lot better on the defensive end, and that's what they've committed to as their identity. And even last year, they played pretty risky trying to get steals and make plays in, in, in transition. But last year, I think... They got their points off of that a lot, and they were really efficient in those transition opportunities, but the gambles they were taking also led to some pretty bad defensive possessions. This year, they're making all the right gambles uh, and all the right moves in general, so they're playing well because of that, and uh, LSU should be considered as a title contender. I seriously believe that, Uh, but moving on from that, and at least they're a second weekend team, by the way. Um, Moving on from that, number 24, Seton Hall beat UConn 90-87 to in overtime. Uh, This game was the coming out party for Godari Richmond uh, for Seton Hall. He had previously been averaging about seven points per game, I believe, uh, throughout the season. And in this game, he had a stretch where he scored 23 points in a row in the second half. And UConn was, UConn had their whole team basically playing against only Kateri Richmond on his own. Uh, As soon as he went out of the game, UConn took the lead. They put him back in the game, used him as a decoy in a few plays once he had cooled off a bit. Um, And then Seton Hall was able to tie the game. And they won the game with the last defensive stop. UConn was trying to get the last shot, and Jared Roden got a steal. Uh, Seton Hall is also a good team. I don't know if they're quite second weekend level. I think they're, they're one of those teams that they might get in as a six or a five seed and they have the capability to beat a four or a three seed, but I don't know about much more than that. And, uh, I mean, they're a team who can take advantage definitely of an upset laden bracket, but I don't know if they're a team that in a, in a very chalk bracket, I don't think they're going to be the ones that emerge as like the few teams with the, the, as one of the few teams with an upset. Uh, but moving on from that number 23, Wisconsin beat Maryland 70 to 69 a very unimpressive follow-up to their win uh, over Purdue and a later one that they had later in the week, but we'll talk about that one later. Um, well, actually, that one was before that game, but still, Wisconsin, again, I'm not entirely convinced of them. Um, I can't really I can't really put my finger on why, but I think it's just that I've never seen a Wisconsin team since they had Frank Kaminsky and Sam Decker really do anything. They, I think... They have some weird streak where they're, I think they've been top four in the Big Ten for 17 of the last 20 years or something by the end of the season, and yet teams below them and teams above them consistently finish higher in terms of the actual NCAA tournament, which is the thing that matters, and I still don't, and I I think they've only won one Big Ten tournament even in that stretch where they've 
been really, really good overall, but they've never been great. And I don't really think this is necessarily the team to change it, honestly. Um, I still think Purdue is better. Frankly, team that's ranked a lot lower, but definitely has more talent is Illinois. Uh, they're going to be better. They're number one in the Big Ten in standings right now. Uh, and then you have Purdue, obviously. So, And frankly, even Ohio State. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about what happened with them later. Uh, but moving on from that, let's talk about the team that has the only real case for number one outside of uh, Baylor. That's Auburn. Uh, number four, Auburn beat number 24, Alabama, 81-77. to 15-1 on the year is Auburn's record. Uh, the wins they have are amazing. Their one loss is a double overtime loss in the battle for Atlantis against UConn. UConn's a good team. UConn's barely, UConn's going to be in the tournament. They're barely outside of the top 25. If they'd beaten Seton Hall, they'd be in the top 25. If your only loss is in double overtime, I think the only team that has an argument over you is the defending national champions uh, who lost one game by three points to a team that's really, really hot. Other than that, I don't think there's anything that you can take away uh, from from that. I mean, there's really nothing you can take away from Auburn other than the fact that they're a really, really good team. Uh, they're for sure better than UCLA, especially after that loss. And I mean, you go off of record, you go off of quality wins. There's really nothing that can say that they're worse than the teams that they're ranked uh, th th than any other team, honestly. I mean, they're just that good. Uh, maybe, I mean, I could see why people, why, why maybe in the poll, Gonzaga might stay higher just because they were already higher and they didn't lose and they had a pretty good week. But I would say I'd put uh, Auburn above Gonzaga right now. I think that's re re that's really where the debate starts. I think you have those three. I think Baylor, Gonzaga, and Auburn are kind of similar to Baylor, Gonzaga, and Michigan for all of the year last year where they had great records. They kept beating good teams just when you thought they might lose. They kept winning um, and eventually it turned into all three, all three of those teams being one seeds. And I think you could actually be seeing that again this year. Uh, and we'll see if it happens. I mean, it'd be crazy for Baylor and Gonzaga to have that sustained success. If you look at like who those teams are and where their programs are, especially athletically in the history of college basketball. Baylor and Gonzaga are not exactly the teams you'd expect to be contending year to year. And frankly, neither is Auburn. Uh, but uh, if, they, if they're going to be this good, I mean, we've seen Gonzaga sustain their success for a while. I think they've easily become a blue blood, a recent one. Uh, and I, could, I, I see Baylor ascending into that, and they're definitely getting into that category now. I mean, any team that's going to challenge Kansas year in, year out, for the Big 12 title is definitely a blue blood. So uh, both all three of those teams are really good. Uh, and speaking of Kansas, number nine, Kansas beat number 15, Iowa State, 62 to 61. Again, that win from Texas Tech said a lot more about Texas Tech than it did about Kansas. Here's Kansas proving it with the big win over a top 15 team. Again, Iowa State still also not a bad team. I think Kansas, Iowa State, Texas Tech, they're all around the same level. Maybe Kansas a little bit above the rest. Uh, and just, you know, had a really bad game against Texas Tech. But I, I think maybe Iowa State probably the worst out of the three, and I think you can pretty much uh, cement that. But Kansas and Texas Tech for sure atop the Big 12 alongside Baylor and maybe Texas if they can pull it together. Then number 10, Michigan State beat Minnesota 71-69 on Joey Hauser's buzzer beater. Uh, this game shouldn't have been that close. Uh, it's kind of funny because Michigan State led for 38 minutes of this game, and if you had seen that, you would assume that they probably won by a lot. But they didn't. They only won off the buzzer beater. I mean, the, the two, the I, I think the two and a half minutes where they weren't leading in this game were a tie at the end of the game that was really a back and forth tie, Michigan State lead, tie, Michigan State lead for maybe three, for maybe a minute and a half, and then when the game was zero to zero. <laughs> and then I think Minnesota scored the same, the first basket, and that was all, those were the only minutes where Michigan State wasn't leading. And, you know, uh, as, as it was brought up during the game, 
The only thing that makes it doesn't matter how many minutes you lead. The only thing that matters is who leads when the clock strikes zero. Uh, Michigan State was lucky that they didn't squander that 38 minutes of a lead just to lose right at the end. They didn't do that. They pulled out this close win. But uh, Minnesota's still another quality team in the Big Ten. Uh, but, you know, this isn't the greatest showing for Michigan State as a top 10 team at, the, at, at, at home. That's not really indicative of a top 10 team, honestly. But uh, moving on from that, number 12, LSU, off their recent rankings promotion, beat number beat Florida 64 to 58. Florida was favored by three points in this game. Don't ask me why. Um, go to Vegas and figure out for yourself, I guess, is my best advice. Uh, I certainly would not have doubted LSU to win this game. I mean, I guess it's hard believing that that team, the way they were last year, I mean, they caught fire at the end of the year and they almost won the SEC, but they were an eight seed. It's not like they had really great success throughout the entire year. And to see a team that was number one in offense, that was an eight seed last year, become number one in defense, I can see why there's skepticism there. But if you look at the product that they're putting out in the games that they're winning, they're a really good team. I mean, their games against Kentucky and Tennessee were big were, were big games. Uh, and maybe, maybe part of the doubt was the fact that those games were at home and they hadn't really played a tough road game. But... I still think Florida's just not quite good enough to beat a team of the caliber of LSU. Maybe maybe a Tennessee or, or someone in that area, maybe an Alabama at home, but, uh, well, uh, although they did fail to do that, actually, because they already played them. Uh, but uh, overall, LSU, a very good team. Uh, and moving on from that, number 14, Villanova, beat number 17, Xavier, 64-60. to 60. Uh, Nothing really much to say about this. Villanova, since starting, I believe, 6-3, and three, but still losing only to good teams, and then having an 8-4 and four end record of the first 12 games. Now 11-4. and four. They've had some tough games. They've played a tough schedule. They actually have, uh, if you look on Kempom, which is the efficiency numbers I'm bringing up, uh, the teams they've played against have, if you combine them all, are number two and number one in offensive and defensive efficiency, which tells you they have played a very, very, very tough schedule, not only... Uh, on one side of the ball, but both sides of the ball. So they played a tough schedule. Uh, they've played pretty well throughout that tough schedule. Uh, kind of similar to Tennessee. Their only losses were really in that tournament. They lost in overtime in the first game or second or third game of the year to UCLA. And they've also come off a COVID pause and played well off of it. So there's reason to believe that Villanova can ascend to the level that they were when they won the national championship again. But I'm not quite there with them yet. I do believe, however, though, the, the last few weeks of have made me uh, release my doubt on this team. I believe they're probably at least a Sweet 16 team, if not an Elite 8 team, and I think they'll probably get there depending on their bracket. Uh, but moving on from that, number five, USC beat Oregon State 81-71. to This is the game that I was talking about that's arguably worse than losing to Stanford. Oregon State is, I think, by any stretch of the imagination, any way you can put it, the worst Power 5 basketball team there is. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a team go 2-12 and 12 before conference play even starts, uh, especially with how pack, Power 5 teams schedule. I mean, I, I would say Michigan's been an extreme disappointment, and even with a 1-2 and two record in conference, they're still 7-6 and six on the season. Uh, Nebraska is only 6-11. Is and 3-12 and 12 is terrible. I think there's no other way you can put it. And they started the season 1-11. and 11. One of their wins is actually in conference play. Um, so... USC being close to a team that You're bad. about the defending conference tournament champions. Yeah, the defending <laughs> conference tournament champions. Tell me how that's going for Georgetown, too. Uh, again, at the end of last year, when you look at how COVID affected everything, the conference chair, I mean, 
I'm just saying, though, the conference tournament champions, it's an interesting point you brought up. They're all pretty bad this year, honestly. I can't name a single good one other than Illinois, Illinois probably. Illinois. Um, I mean, Baylor? no, Baylor did they not win, win their it. conference they tournament. That was the first loss of the year was to Oklahoma State That's in that great. tournament. Yeah. Uh, and Oklahoma State won that conference tournament, and the they're ACC. not even... The ACC was Georgia Tech, That's and right. they're terrible. Wow. So none of the, none of the conference tournament winners have been good this year. Georgetown also not good whatsoever, as I said. Uh, Oregon State literally the worst team in all of the Power Five. Alabama, uh, LSU. Alabama's been Alabama's probably the best, yeah. I would say. Okay, so um, so actually Illinois is probably better than Alabama still, but those two teams are the best, and they're not even top twenty. So that should let you know a little bit about what happened at the end of last year. Uh, but. Overall, although I would argue that the team who won the championship ended up being the deserving team. Although, oh yeah, well, Gonzaga won their conference, so but that doesn't really count. It's a power five. All yeah, right. that's true. Uh, but moving on with that, I mean, look, Oregon State is not good enough to stay close with USC, and the fact that they were down at the half just shows you that USC just is not that good. Um, I think no top five team ever is that close to a two and twelve team. Maybe I mean, look. Purdue played Nebraska somewhat close. By somewhat close, I mean they beat them by like 25. Like, that's that's the type of thing you expect from a top five team. And Purdue's frankly struggling right now. Uh, really, same situation with uh, Illinois against Nebraska where they were, they were losing. They were losing for a little bit of the game. They were tied for most of it. But they still won by 10. And Nebraska, again, is better than Oregon State. And that game was at least on the road. USC almost lost this game at home. So... I don't know what it is with the teams in Oregon, but I guess they like playing in SoCal more than the SoCal teams do. Uh, but moving on from that, number 13, Wisconsin beat number 16, Ohio State, 78 to 68. Um, again, I still feel like this season is setting up exactly how their last season did, where they get a few good wins. They're somehow ranked really, really high. If you look at the product on the on the court, it, it's it's really ugly for a top 15 team, to be quite honest. Wisconsin and then they get, well, what, hold on. Then they get one big win over a ranked team, and everybody says, oh, okay, maybe they actually are for real. And then last year what happened is they went on the road against Michigan, and Michigan beat them by 45 points, and at some point in the game led by, I want to say, 59, uh, and went on something like a 48-13 to 13 run or something. Uh, and then Wisconsin plummeted down the rankings, they lost another game, they won one game again, and then they lost to Michigan coming off of a 24-day COVID pause right after that. So this season could very easily spiral out of control like it did last year, and I wouldn't be surprised if it did. I think that's what's actually going to happen. Um, I believe they have a few easier games coming up, but this was really their hardest game, and then uh, I'm just going to say just wait until they start playing Purdue. Wait until they play Purdue. Their first game of the conference season, by the way, was a road game against Ohio State in which they lost by 20. Uh, I think this, ga this game was just more of Ohio State not playing their best and then really not shooting well whatsoever, and then uh, which can be attributed to defense. But, you know, Wisconsin still only won by 10. It wasn't that. It wasn't like it was a blowout like Ohio State did to them, so I'm still not entirely convinced. I still think Ohio State's better. Uh, but, th I mean... Wisconsin will find a way to lose. They're, they're going to play Purdue. They're going to play Illinois. They're going to lose to both those teams. They might even find a way to lose to Michigan if they play them on the road. I mean, they're going to lose to those types of teams, and You're I don't think that's going to be all too surprising. I, I think they will. I don't think that, I and mean, by the way, I don't think they're actually, I actually do think this is a better team than the team that ended up as a eight or a nine seed and got crushed by North Carolina in the tournament. Um, I think they're better than that, but I just don't see them as four, three, three, four, five seed quality. They're probably going to end up as a, as one of the better seven seeds or six seeds, something like that. Uh, I think that's a realistic expectation for them. I don't think top fifteen is realistic, and I think top twenty five is very realistic. So I think they're a little bit overrated. I don't think they're terrible. I think they're still better than USC, uh, but 
they're somewhere kind of in that middle range of top 20, top 25 teams. They're they're not necessarily mediocre, but they'll be in the middle of the Big Ten, in the, in the top part of the middle of the Big Ten, and I think that's where their plateau will reach. All right, let's move to other important matchups from last week. Starting with number one, Baylor beating TCU 76-64. TCU has an identical resume to USC, only a few losses. I mean, they have two now after this loss to Baylor, and they really just haven't played anybody, and they have no quality wins, and since they had no preseason expectations, no one considers them a ranked team. There's really not that much separating number five and number, well, unranked this season, to be quite honest. And then number eight, Duke, after their loss to Miami, dropped from number two to number eight. I think that's a little too harsh. Uh, and I think they proved that because they beat Wake Forest 76 to 64. Wake Forest 13 and three on the year, same record that Miami actually had going into their game. Uh, but they won on the road. And actually, most impressive thing about this game to me, it was without Coach K. But uh, you know, if you look at the future of Duke's program and you look at the recruiting class that has been put together for next year, uh, that class has been put together by John Shire, lead assistant, who will be taking over after Coach K retires this season. Uh, after this year, I should say. And he was the head coach in that game. So I, I think Duke trusts John Shire. I don't know. There's something about it. You know, maybe having the number one recruiting class next year helps. Uh, maybe him being one of Coach K's leading assistant for tens of years now is part of that. Maybe him being uh, one, of the program's one of the program's better players of all time helps that. But yeah, they trust John Shire. They'll be good next year. I think this was actually a little bit of a preview of next year. Uh, but overall, Duke, Duke back to their normal ways. And I think... They're still proving that they're definitely a strong team. All right, that looks up. Uh, that wraps up our look back at college basketball for the week. Let's have a quick preview of the NFL playoffs. Let's start with Saturday's action: Raiders versus Bengals. Well, I will say I've already predicted all of these on my website and on my Instagram, so everybody already knows what I have. But we're here to talk about what you have too, uh, and maybe give some detail as to why I have the Bengals. I don't think it's going to be all too close, honestly. Um, I don't believe this is necessarily going to be a blowout, but I don't believe it's going to be one of the nail-bitingly close games that you expect in the playoffs, especially from a 4-5 matchup. I, I just think that the Raiders' secondary and their defense overall, I think what Justin Herbert did on the last possession of regulation to the Raiders is what Joe Burrow's going to do all game. Uh, the one saving grace for the Raiders is that Max Crosby also almost sacked Justin Herbert about 10 times in that game. Uh, so it's not entirely surprising. It wouldn't be entirely surprising if the team that I think probably has given up the most sacks in terms of the offensive line in the playoffs uh, would get a lot. Of, would get Joe Burrow sacked a lot. I mean, that wouldn't be surprising whatsoever. But uh, I still think the Bengals are going to have enough to win this game because I think really every every play that's not a sack is going to be like a 15 yard catch for the Bengals. Um, and I don't really trust Derek Carr too much. Uh, I go with the Bengals, uh, home team. Weather, maybe, I don't know how bad it's going to be, but it's going to be cold. Raiders are not used to playing outdoors at all, uh, let alone in the cold. And um, I just think the Raiders kind of had that, just, it's one of those, it's like a letdown game. And they played, they have a short turnaround as well. Short turnaround, going going east, in the cold, don't like it. Uh, also something to note about this game is that Joe Burrow is making his 20th career start in this game, and he's already starting the playoffs. Derek Carr will be making his 128th career start, yet his first in the playoffs. You don't see that long leash for wow. a quarterback very often. Uh, frankly, you're seeing it with Cincinnati. Cincinnati was a team who let go of their quarterback because he had one bad year after he made it to the playoffs six of seven years, but never won a game, uh, that being Andy Dalton. So you don't normally see that long of a leash, especially with a, with 
uh, I mean, a team as good as historically the Raiders have been. So uh, it's interesting to see that that dichotomy there. And look, it, it proves that you can wait around for a while. You just might be waiting a lot longer than if you blew it up and restarted a little bit quicker like the Bengals did. All right, what about Patriots versus Bills? I have the Bills. Um, it's a cold-weather game, but a real cold weather game. I, I believe Josh Allen has really learned his lesson, and I also don't think it's going to be as windy as it was, and that was the real problem with them throwing the ball. You can throw the ball in the snow. You just can't do it when it's also uh, like two degrees out and it's also really, really windy, and I think it was like 40-mile-per-hour 40, 40 wind gusts uh, in Orchard Park the last time they played on Monday night uh, when Mac Jones only threw three passes and the Patriots won the game. Uh, and really... I think that game was one. I mean, look, that game was won because of one big play uh, in the running game by the Patriots. If that doesn't happen again, the Bills look really good, and the, the Bills win on the road in Foxborough proves that they're probably the better team when pe- when the teams have pretty regular conditions. And, and if you looked, if you follow closely enough uh, with the NFL, you you would have seen that the Bills played a game against the Falcons actually, where there was a lot of snow. Um, and the Bills decided to break out the Josh Allen running back pack, and he actually led the league in rushing yards for a week on 15 carries uh, with three touchdowns, I believe, because of that, uh, because of that weather and because of what they were doing with, with with their packages, and it was really, really interesting to see that, and he also threw decently well, although he did throw three interceptions, uh, so I expect them to run him a lot, and play some of the, I mean, and by the way, they started doing that really against the Patriots. I think that was the first game they started running running Josh Allen a lot. So I think that's what they're going to do, and I think that's going to win them the game. Yeah, whoever rushes the ball the most wins this game, I think. I think it's cruel for the NFL to have a night game in Buffalo in January, mid-January. Like, couldn't it? Couldn't they have had the, the Raiders-Bengals game start earlier? Anyway, I, 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 whoever runs the ball the best. You mean later? But yeah, or, or even, yes, or... Maybe have these games be the Sunday games. You've got some warm weather climate games on Sunday. Let those be day. Uh, anyway, uh, it makes no sense. And I think whoever uh, has has the most rushing yards wins this game. And I think you just gave a little preview of what the Bills are likely going to do. So I, I agree uh, in terms of having Josh Allen run the ball. Uh, I agree with you. Let's move to Saturday's games. Uh, this might be the easiest game to call. Well, maybe not. Eagles versus Bucks. I would argue that there is one easier to call, and it's yes. two games from now, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, but look, I, I did state on the last podcast that the, the Buccaneers had the number one running defense. It's actually not true because they had the fifth worst um, defensive yard, or runs, yards per carry allowed uh, for the last half of the season. Uh, they started off as the number one running defense, and everybody thought, oh my God, do not run on the Buccaneers. you got to win by passing on them because their secondary is weak. It's injured. Uh, they've gotten healthier in the secondary. doesn't matter because the Eagles won't throw the ball much anyway. Um, but their run defense has been a little bit weak. But I just don't believe that when you look at the matchups, there's any way where you can say the Eagles will win the game. I, I just think it's Jalen Hurts against Tom Brady. And I think there's no... I, I, Jalen Hurts has been great all year, and it's great to see really almost like a military school in college playing in the NFL, that being the way that the Eagles are playing with the read option game that he's running. I mean, they, they're they playing like three or four running backs a game. It's crazy, and it's fun to watch. And they played a great defense, but uh, I think Darius Slay can hold his own as a corner, maybe even against Gronk, we'll see. But I just think overall in the whole game, at some point Gronk and Mike Evans are going to make enough plays with Tom Brady there. Um, and also, I think some of the running backs even coming back. I think Fournette might even be coming back. That with those guys as a whole, you're gonna get a game where the Buccaneers eventually edge out the Eagles. And regardless of how good their running offense is and 
how not necessarily weak, but how like middling the the Buccaneers rush defense has been later in the season. I still think the Buccaneers don't necessarily have the edge in that matchup, but if you're going to give them a team where you know that they're going to run the ball a lot, I still think they can contain them decently well, and I don't think they're scared of them passing whatsoever, and that's really been the Buccaneers' weakness. So the Eagles can't exploit the big weakness of the Buccaneers. Uh, and the Buccaneers, I mean, the Eagles don't have any obvious weaknesses, but they're not the, they're not the worst record in the playoffs for no reason. So uh, this is a Buccaneers game. Yeah, and I, I don't think this game's going to be interesting. I think it's just, ugh. I think it can be a grind. I think it will be a grinded out twenty-seven twenty kind of a game. I think it'll it'll be it'll appear a lot more high scoring if you look at the scoreboard after the game than it does in the moment. But all right, next Forty uh, ers Cowboys, and like you said from your predictions, people know you took the Niners. Why? Uh look, Debo Samuel is the offensive version of Micah Parsons. You can line him up anywhere. Frankly, it's kind of funny because both of them, I would argue, are better in the positions that they're not listed in. Debo Samuel listed as a wide receiver, yet leads the league in yards per carry uh, as a running back. Uh, And then you have Micah Parsons, who's, I guess, listed as, I don't know if he's listed as an interior linebacker or as just a linebacker, but uh, he's been better as a pass rusher this season, I would argue. Uh, He's forced a lot of, he's got a lot of sacks. He's forced a lot of sack fumbles. He's played so well as a rusher that, I mean, you could almost list him as an outside line. I mean, he's more of what Khalil Mack is than anything else, Uh, but he's also a mix with that and Isaiah Simmons of the Cardinals, who plays every position uh, from linebacker to the secondary. He can really play anything. So I feel like they have two jacks of all trades in this game. And the Cowboys are so good at forcing turnovers that I almost feel like it's going to have the opposite effect in this game where the the Cowboys get turnovers and that's why their defense looks great. Without the turnovers, their defense is pretty average. Um, the 49ers lose every single game where Jimmy Garoppolo throws an interception pretty much without fail. They also win every game where they actually statistically have won every single game where he started and he didn't throw an interception. And I feel like for the Niners, it's as simple as tell Jimmy G, do not throw an interception in this game and we will win. And I really think that's going to be true. And I think they will win because I think he won't throw an interception. And even if he does, maybe he'll throw one and really... The Cowboys have been so inconsistent all year. I, I feel like this this matchup has the, the Cowboys-Broncos game written all over it where you don't really expect the team because of a lack of elite offensive weapons to come in and win in Dallas. And yet somehow they just come out with a, with a dominating performance. And really, uh, I, I believe in, in the 49ers defense a lot. I think it's definitely better than the Cowboys. So uh, especially when you, take, when you take out takeaways. So uh, that's why I picked the Niners. And I think I, I'm feeling confident about it, honestly. Well... I think the Cowboys are going to win, but I hope I'm wrong. Let's move on to the last game Saturday, uh, the one I think you both— Last game both, Sunday. Sunday, both, yeah. Uh, both you and I were referring to earlier about uh, the strength of a matchup. Steelers versus Chiefs. Uh, yeah, the Chiefs are going to win this game. Um, although, I will say, um, it's one of the weirdest situations ever. Juju Smith-Schuster has played zero games this season, and he will be returning for this game. Um, and he will have the most, the most uh, small—the smallest audition for free agency— that I think any receiver has ever seen because he will only play in this one game and next year he'll be in free agency. Uh, it's crazy to think. And maybe, you know what? Maybe if he shows up, maybe, he, maybe he'll get make himself a lot of money as opposed to maybe if he had played out the whole season and not had a great year. But um, look, if Big Ben's yards per attempt was already at 2.4 yards recently before this game... All they're going to do is throw a few more screens this game because Juju's back and he's a blocking receiver uh, and, and really his 
he's not a blocking receiver, but one of his better assets is his blocking. Uh, and really, he's the guy who gets a lot of screens too. So expect more screens than usual. Um, and that's saying a lot for the Steelers because they already run really a lot of screens and a lot of short passes in general. They're going to make the playbook even shorter. Um, and even though the Chiefs might be missing Clyde edwards helaire he also left in the middle of the game against the Steelers last time after scoring one touchdown. And that didn't seem to matter too much. Now, did it? So uh, the Chiefs are going to win. Yeah, as much as it would be a nice story for Big Ben to find a way to win this game and his career to continue, we already got that story last week. Uh, it's his last game. Chiefs win this. So let's move to the last matchup. First ever Monday night playoff game, Cardinals versus Rams. The Rams, I think, will win this game. I think the first matchup of the year was the Rams getting a little bit too confident and believing what they had worked. Um, and I think that it worked too well, and I think the Cardinals came in, and look, the Cardinals played so well at the beginning of the season, but the rest of the season, they have not been good at all. Um, and really, I think that's going to continue. And if you look at the way that the Rams played them the last time they played, they had a lot of Sony Michelle running the ball, and they were decently successful. And then all of a sudden, when they had sucked in the Cardinals' defense just a little bit, had a few a few safeties biting on the run a little bit, deep plays to Van Jefferson, to Odell Beckham, to Cooper Cup, and all of a sudden, this that, that game turned into an easy Rams win on the road um, in Arizona that really changed the, the rest of the season for both of those teams. Uh, but I think the Rams are going to be able to repeat that. And I think, actually, the Rams' defense, by the way, in that game, was were playing two or three guys that didn't even get any playing time for the rest of the year, pretty much. Uh, that being Kareem Orr and, you know, Dante Dion has gotten some play as a third corner, but I think he was the number one corner in that game. Actually, no, he was even out, which is why the Rams secondary was even worse back then. Um, but even with being that injured, they went in and won, and won on the road. I don't see how you think they're going to lose um, at home. And I think the one thing is they did such a great job containing Kyler Murray. They put the game plan out there of how they're going to stop him, but... I don't think that the Cardinals can really adjust to it at all because all the Rams need to do is recreate it again um, and it, they're going to be able to win the game and I think they are going to be able to recreate it again. Well, I've picked all favorites throughout all the games. So I've picked all chalk so far. Um, I don't know. I just have a feeling that uh, the Cardinals are going to pull this out. Maybe that's the Matt Stafford negative Lions carryover playoff juju. But like I said, with the 49ers and the Cowboys, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, um, and and again, by the way, in in terms of Matt Stafford, I mean, the, the Rams. I mean, Stafford has played worse as the season has gone on, but the team has somehow been better. I think the Cardinals have kind of been the opposite, so it's really a weird game. And frankly, these teams don't feel like four and five seeds coming into the playoffs. Um, but I guess the Eagles and I mean, well, I would argue the Forty ers probably have been playing better than the Rams or the Cardinals, and if they'd played the way they have. Um, for most of the for the end of the year, all year, they would have easily walked away with the division lead, but they didn't play well all season. They only played a good half of a season. So uh, it, it's interesting, though, with all these NFC West teams because it is a tough division, so you never really know what to make of the teams when they kind of all split against each other. However, if the Rams get over the hump here, look out, because of that defense, if Stafford has some confidence, they could make a run in the playoffs. Well, I, I, the only worry that I have is that the loss last week, I think, actually sealed the Rams' fate. And the fact that the earlier you go to Lambeau, the worse. Um, and really... They um, might not have to go to Lambeau if you're right about the 49ers-Cowboys. Well, that would be the only reason they wouldn't go there in the first round. But, and by the way, if if the 49ers win, the Rams are going to lose in the NFC Championship game because they're not capable of beating the 49ers or the Packers, I would argue. I think they played the best game they could have played against the Niners 
earlier last week, and, and they lost. Yeah. So, and they choked a big lead. They choked a seventeen to nothing lead. So, I don't see exactly how I could see. I mean, hard to beat a team three times, but at the same time, the Niners just play a style that's completely counter to the Rams, and they and it just works every single time. I mean, they're six and zero against them in the last three years, um, and overall, I mean, it's like the only team that the Rams haven't beaten. Um, the Rams have beaten the Buccaneers both times with Tom Brady, but they haven't beaten the Packers in a long, long time. Uh, they played them once in the playoffs last year in Lambeau and lost, played them this year in Lambeau and also lost. So I think that might be a continuation of that. And really, uh, if we think that Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears, he definitely owns Matt Stafford if you look at his record yes. against the Lions. Yes. All right. Well, that wraps up our uh, brief preview of the NFL playoffs. That will also end this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, January 17th, where we will discuss what actually happened in the playoffs, uh, see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions, and have a look back at the week's NBA action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his weekend predictions that were posted on Thursday, and an NCAA basketball tournament bracket uh, updated that will be posted on Saturday. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.